pilot's hand-washing service. And as JT has learned, I can start off just for a couple of minutes, kind of normal voice, but I get louder and louder. Uh, many children have said, why is the pastor screaming at everybody? But that's just my style. And uh, it is what it is. And after 30 years, it's kind of hard to change old habits. We all understand the term when someone says, I'm washing my hands of something. I've known of people that have said, I'm washing my hands of my marriage. I'm washing my hands of a certain relationship. I'm washing my hands of a job. That means, the implication which you all understand means that I'm finished. I'm not going back to it. It'll, I'll never repeat that. It'll never be duplicated again. I'm done. It's a sign, a statement of finality, that I'm finished with it, etc. So with that thought in mind, uh, you probably know by now where this sermon is headed, and if you do, then you've guessed right. When Jesus stood before Pilate, you'll notice, first of all, that there's a lot of contrast if you compared these two men. When Jesus stood before Pilate on that Passover morning, the difference, the contrast between the two was very striking. In that, Jesus was in a lot of pain. Pilate was living in luxury. Jesus was representing generosity and abundance, where Pilate was exuding selfishness and greed. Where Jesus was manifesting humility, Pilate was manifesting arrogance. Where Jesus represented holiness, Pilate represented sin. Where Jesus was representing the power of the kingdom of God, Pilate was representing weakness. So there stands Jesus in front of Pilate, and Pilate is obviously very confused. Pilate was the man that was sent to Israel from Rome to be their governor. Uh, he was a Roman, he was a Gentile, and he was ruling over the Jewish people, and they despised that situation. They resented and hated the fact that a Roman, a Gentile, was ruling over them. But as Jesus stands in front of Pilate, and Pilate is confused, I'm sure he was confused that Jesus and his followers had proclaimed that he was a king and that he would attempt to try to set up a kingdom in the manner that Jesus was trying to do it. He had no throne, he had no armies, he had no chariots, he had no weaponry, and so on. And as Pilate that morning began to ask Jesus very simple questions, Jesus answers to those questions even confused Pilate all the more, which I'll say in passing that I have stood in that place where Pilate stood and where Jesus stood. Uh, the Jews, the Jewish people, of course, have realized and recognized exactly where that spot was, and I was blessed and fortunate enough to stand in that spot. As a matter of fact, when I was standing there, I buried my face in my hands and began to sob and weep as I stood on the place where Jesus' blood poured down his body and hit the ground. I stood on that spot. And uh, my tour group left me. I, I kind of panicked when you talk about instant in season, out of season. I was in this huge moment of repenting and thanking God for 
shedding his blood and I hear strange voices and I look and my tour group's gone and I'm running out into somewhere in Jerusalem and I spotted one woman with that hairdo about three blocks up the street, buddy, and I was hoofing it uh, to catch up because I didn't have a clue where they were and where I was supposed to go and what have you. But there were so many things to Pilate that were confusing that morning. There are people here today in this building that has Jesus standing in front of you right now, and you're confused. Your life circumstances has caused you to be confused and disheartened and disillusioned. And now Jesus shows up and you don't know what to do. You don't know what he can do, and it's, it's hard to trust those things. Pilate notices that the mob seems to be restless that morning. They are shouting about something, and they're very adamant about their request. And again, Pilate retreats to the recesses of his mind and tries to recall what he knows about this man that's named Jesus. Of all the problems and perplexing issues that have come to him during his tenure in Jerusalem, none are as troubling as his review of this trial that's literally a mockery. It's a, it's a hoax, if you will. Pilate is taken out of his element. He's trying to understand what began with John the Baptist and now is culminating in this Jesus of Nazareth man. The words in the heart of Pilate that are as of yet unspoken is, I don't understand you people. I find no fault in this man. But before he states the objective, he again reviews the things that perhaps he had heard over the past three and a half years about this Jesus of Nazareth. Perhaps he's heard about the widow's son that was miraculously raised from the dead when Jesus just spoke and said, Son, I say unto thee, arise. And perhaps he thought about the bride where uh, Jesus performed his first miracle where they ran out of wine and and Jesus turned the water into wine. And the crippled man who Jesus just said, take up your bed and walk. And about the parents, Jairus and his wife, that they had their daughter raised back to life. And the thousands that were fed with just a small amount of fish and bread. The sermons, the parables, the, the teaching that flowed out of this man named Jesus with such wisdom. Perhaps Pilate begins to remember some of the things that he has no doubt heard about, and he recalls hearing of how this so-called prophet entertained one night a man under the cover of darkness. As a matter of fact, this man was someone that Pilate knew very well. His name was Nicodemus, and he was on the Sanhedrin court. He was a, a, a high-profile, a very political man, a very strong man of influence in Jerusalem, and and throughout Israel, he had a, a private conversation with, with Jesus, as Nicodemus did. And it perhaps troubled Pilate when he thought of it as this Sanhedrin court, this top ruling body in Israel that works directly under my command, is one of them now turning coat. And, and I can't trust him like I could, but he went to Jesus under the cover of darkness, and Jesus gave him some rendition that a man... If he's going to see the kingdom of God, he's got to be born again. And 
And to be more specific, he's got to be born of water and spirit. And, and as Brianna quoted this morning, Jesus was still talking to Nicodemus when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Pilate is troubled by this man named Jesus and he don't know what to do with him and he can't convict him because he can find no fault. There's no wrong in him that he has done. There's a letter that has been discovered and uh, supposedly Pilate wrote it and uh, I believe there's some validation to it but others may argue that and it doesn't matter. But uh, uh, Pilate's letter uh, that he had written to Rome and just kind of given them uh, an update, if you will, of what was going, going on in Israel. He wrote the letter and said, Divine and most illustrious Tiberius, all is quiet here. I have made my troubles with the, this insufferable and ungovernable people, but neither watchfulness nor firmness has been warning or lacking on my part. Only the former matter of Jesus, the son of David, still perplexes me, he wrote. I sometimes wish that a wiser man than I were in my place so that he might be better uh, to report to you about this mysterious movement among this people. Had this Jesus been an ordinary Jewish zealot or an insurrectionary of, of an everyday order, my duty to my master would soon have been fulfilled. But as a matter of fact, Jesus the Christ, as he is called, is worth more to my administration than any legion of my own men. He is the most peaceable and inoffensive of men. I know what I say, for I have had him and his discipleship watched and reported on in places and at all times. Not only so, but it was only last week that I determined to spy upon him myself. So perplexed was I with all that I had heard about him. I accordingly most effectually disguised myself, a thing that I've never done before, and I went to where he dwelt, and I told him that I had for a long time been a secret disciple of his. I am come by night, I told him, for fear of his enemies and mine, but instead of his royal descent from David or his Hebrew messiahship or any pretensions or expectations of his of any kind, he would speak to me about nothing and no one, David nor Solomon, Caesar nor Caiaphas, but only about himself. Jew or Roman or whatever I was, he said, I must be born again. He insisted, till I was so born again, I shall not lift a single finger against this king of the Jews, as his disciples call him, till I am commanded by Caesar so to do. A letter supposedly written by Pontius Pilate. It is believed that while this letter was on its way to Rome, that the whole matter of crucifixion came to a head. This Jesus was thrust into the courts of Pilate by the Jewish leaders. So it was here that things began to go wrong for Pilate. He violates the voice of his conscience. He violates the voice of his wife. Instead, he orders Jesus to be scourged. The Sanhedrin court gets there tattered nerves and lacerated muscles and blood pouring from the body of Jesus from his head and back, but that's still not enough for them. They want him crucified. Pilate can no longer stand this in the brilliance of his mind. He vaguely remembers one of the Hebrew laws, and he will attempt to further plead 
with the rulers of the Sanhedrin court. So he calls for his servant and orders a basin of water to be sent to him. The Old Testament law that Pilate is about to engage, if someone was slain and there was no one who witnessed the crime and the murderer was not found, a heifer was to be sacrificed and offered to the Lord. In this process of the sacrifice being offered, the hands of the elders of the city were to be washed. Hand washing was a particular ritual among the Jewish people. The Mishnah, the Mishnah, everybody say Mishnah. The Mishnah was the oral law. It was spoken sermons and Bible studies performed by the Jewish people. The Mishnah had been written down. It's kind of humorous to me that they had an oral law, but they wrote it down. But in this Mishnah, the Mishnah gave specific orders on the order of hand washing. The hands of the ones that were being washed were to be thrust into the water three times up to the wrist. And then the palm of each hand had to be rubbed with the closed fist of the others. By doing this, the elders were cleansing themselves symbolically of any guilt on their part. As they washed their hands, they would state, Our hands have not shed this blood, and our eyes have not seen. Grant forgiveness to thy people, and give not innocent blood in the midst of thy people Israel, and the blood shall be forgiven them. This was the appropriate way to perform a hand-washing service. If there was someone that had been murdered, and they could not find the killer. The priest would go to God with a hand-washing service and say, we did not do this. We don't know who did this. So please don't lay this sin to our charge. That hand-washing service was preceded by the sacrifice of a heifer or a young cow. Pilate's hand-washing ceremony that day was a complete failure because, number one, Pilate, was not a believer. He didn't believe in Jewish law. He was a man who proposed to wash away his guilt of sin through the obedience of a law that he did not believe in. Number two, Pilate did not follow it correctly. He did not follow the procedure. He made no provision for a heifer to be sacrificed along with his hand-washing ceremony, which is only obeying a part of the law that he did not believe in. Number three, Pilate was not qualified. He was trying to perform a ritual that day that only the priest of Levi could do. It was his way of saying, listen very carefully, I'll do this my way without the help of the ministry. What we must all realize is that there is no merit and partial obedience or partial belief. Only true and total obedience and faith in the Word of God will relieve a guilty conscience. We all have to understand that. You believe with all of your heart, and you act on that obedience with all of your heart. One may kneel without praying, and one may bow 
without surrender. If you want God to really do in your life what needs to be done and what you are hungry for him to do, it is important that you believe in him with all of your heart and that you believe in his law with all of your heart. The basin of water leaving the room in the hands of Pilate's servant took none of the indecision or guilt from the heart of Pilate. It was just an empty ritual. The outward action, the outward action of a person must be symbolic of the inward repentance of that person. Wash the hands, wash the hands, but more importantly, wash the heart. There are literally millions of people who use inadequate hand-washing rituals, if you will, in an effort to remove the stains of sin and guilt from their lives. People sometimes will try therapy, words from a secular voice to wash away some abuse from the past. People will turn to alcohol from a little buzz, whether it's just a small buzz or a drink or two, to a drunken stupor to wash away guilt and shame caused from deliberate and premeditated sin. Oftentimes in a marriage, a man or a woman, a husband or wife will turn to adultery to fulfill fleshly lust that has justified, that is justified because of an unhappy, unfulfilled, unsatisfying marriage. People will try their own hand-washing ceremony by turning to prescription drugs and then becoming dependent on them because it will give them some temporary relief from the, the, the realities of their life. Sometimes people will turn to gambling as a ritual in some hand-washing form, including lottery tickets, trying to get rich quick due to a lack of contentment and a lack of faith in God as their provider. So it's the continual pursuit of the party life in search of more. It's the pursuit of affluence in search of contentment. It's a career that consumes all of our energy that leaves no time for God, church, and family. The list goes on and on, but people seek every day. And some of you are here this morning. You are seeking some hand-washing ritual to try to soothe your conscience and to bring some element of fulfillment into your life. These are the words that come to mind when we begin to look at the world. But what about those things when we continually wash our hands using some ritual that has ultimately destroyed our relationship with God? What are some of those things to our wonderful, faithful church people? We don't realize it, but sometimes subconsciously, we will do hand-washing rituals in our own mind when we fail to destroy a root of darkness that's either towards God or someone else that has been in our life for a long time. Listen very carefully. We will go through some hand-washing ritual trying to soothe again our conscience when we refuse to repent and when we refuse to forgive. There's people here today that have shared with me just recently that I was bitter towards a person 
It could have been a spouse, a child, or a parent. But I was bitter towards them for the way I was treated, the way they acted, their lack of responsibility and accountability and so on, and not realize that in the deep recesses of their mind, they performed some ritualistic hand-washing service in their own heart, determining that I'm justified to not have to repent of this. I'm justified not to have to forgive. But I want to submit to all of us here this morning there is no justification and neither is there any relief or forgiveness and all of those things that we hoard up in our heart and when we do our own ritualistic mindful hand washing service the only way to get rid of those things is to come to God in an altar of repentance and truly pour your heart out to him and say God wash me clean Because of our mental, preference-based, invalid hand-washing services, it prohibits our ability to sacrifice. We live our lives lifeless and meaningless even when we attend church on a regular basis. There's the absence of a daily relationship with Jesus. There's never any time for personal devotion. We're always too busy to do anything for the kingdom. And we're especially too busy to pray. I want everybody to understand what's underneath this. Because we've all justified it. We say, Pastor, you don't understand what happened to me. You don't understand what's going on in my life. You don't understand the heartache and the tragedy. I was talking with someone this morning. There was a sweet, beautiful little gal that has attended our church in the past. When I first met her, was with her, one of her family members. And uh, we were renting the building at the time, and uh, we were meeting in, in a little makeshift office that I was using at the time. And the more I heard her story, the more I realized that she had been doing her own little hand-washing service and trying to justify bitterness and unforgiveness. And her life was going nowhere, and she was a drug addict, dependent on drugs, and, and just having illicit sex with anybody and everybody around, as, as, as I remember being told. And, and uh, all of these things were going on. She was trying to do this own little hand-washing service. And, but you have to understand, Pastor, I have a reason. I'm justified because, you see, my daddy killed my mother and then killed himself. And, and so I'm justified in living the way I'm living. She thought that way. And some of her family are here this morning. I hope you forgive me. And I don't want to call your name or hers. But when she came to an altar and she truly repented of her sin, she found that there was a God on the other side of her meaningless life that restored her life and resurrected things in her and empowered her to live a life in relationship with Jesus. The attitudes that I just a moment ago mentioned their attitudes and actions that are scripturally wrong. Pilate's conscience was pursuing Jesus or else he would not have requested the hand-washing ceremony. He could have washed his hands forever. He could have had a thousand hand-washing services, but they would have never washed him clean. Listen very carefully. There are no prisoners more miserable than those who are held captive by their own conscience. Adam and Eve tried to hide themselves from God 
when they were the only ones on this planet in Genesis 3. Cain's conscience made his punishment greater than he can bear, he said in Genesis 4. Ahab's conscience made him cry to the prophet, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? Felix, the great Roman ruler, trembled at Paul's words. His conscience was embodied by Paul in Acts 24. Belshazzar's knee smote one against the other when he saw the hand writing on the wall. It's the hand coming out of the black sleeve of midnight that confronts. And God's word to Belshazzar was in Daniel 5 that God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You're weighed in the balances and you're found wanting or lacking. The conscience is always working towards a confrontation. It somehow keeps score. It keeps a sum total of squandered opportunities. The unforgiven sin. The conscience sometimes is a living voice from a dead and fruitless past. When God and his conscience starts calling, there are times that we escape his voice by calling for a hand-washing service. Life is a series of choices, and we say, I want to do what's right, God. I really do. But instead, can somebody bring me a basin of water? I want to commit to the kingdom, but I can't because I have issues. So will somebody lead me through a hand-washing service? I want to be used in church. I want to serve, but I just can't, so I'm going to wash my hands of it. I want to use my gifts and talents for God, but I just can't, so I'm just going to wash my hands. And, and you know, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never do this. And I want, I want a, a, a godly home, and I want a good, solid family, but instead of doing what it takes to make one of those, we call for a hand-washing service instead. I want my kids to know Jesus, but... You know, if I'm not committed, how can I expect them to be that committed? So my way out is I'll just wash my hands of it. I truly want to be what God wants me to be, but I just can't. So I'll just wash my hands. And proper hand-washing services squeeze the life out of our devotion to God. We always have an excuse. We always have a reason. And we always have an ability to justify it. Let me talk to you about appropriate hand-washing services. In the Old Testament, and I'll be as quick as I can. And by the way, I preached way too long last Sunday. But there's been a handful of times when I preached kind of short. So y'all owe me. We try not to duplicate that too often. In the Old Testament, there's the brazen labor. In Moses' tabernacle, the brazen laver was a small basin of water. It held water for the priest to cleanse away any of the blood spattering from the giving of his sacrifice on the brazen altar and being made of the mirrors from Egypt. It also had a capacity to serve as a place of examination. It was located between the altar and the, and the door of the tabernacle. And, and, and that's not without significance. And Before you enter the tabernacle, one had to ensure himself to be clean. And so time after time, the priest would have to wash himself in the labor to be presentable to God because of the apparent small size, small size of the brazen labor. The priest had to spend time at that place of outward washing. But when you fast forward a few hundred years in the Old Testament, you come to Solomon's temple. Find it interesting what Solomon had done. His brazen laver was much larger. This gigantic laver for the priest to wash in was some 16 feet across from one side to the other. The inside measurement was about 9 inches deep. 
This, this inside measurement was apparently used when calculating the circumference as, as about 49 feet. It, it contained the equivalent of 2,000 baths. If you consider the, back in those days, it was six gallons of water, approximately, that they would use for a bath. Solomon had the labor design where there would be 2,000 baths, kind of a type of the church age where there's never any end to God's ability to cleanse the life and heart of a man. It's exponential cleansing. You don't go just once and then run out of water and have to wait till the next day. But you can make a trip 2,000 times a day to the brazen labor and it would still have water in it. Oh, the blood that washes me. Oh, the blood that washes me. The old songwriter said, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There may be a thousand lavers that you can use, but there's only one that works. There's only one that's effective. The psalmist said it beautifully in Psalm 51 and verse 6. He said, Behold, God, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean washed, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin, and blot out all my iniquities, he said, create within me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit, O God. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. I'm aware of all the old stories that circulate about the demise of Pontius Pilate. I'm aware of the stories that speculate that he committed suicide shortly after the crucifixion. There's no proof of that. It's only speculation. But I would lay hope today against hope that that was not the case with Pilate. If the love of my Jesus and the recognition of the sin of my own soul has often chased me to the cross of Christ, I would like to think Pilate's seeming remorse and disappointment in having Christ crucified must have driven Pilate to pursue Jesus as well. On that poor Passover morning, Instead of calling on the grace of God and on the love of God and the mercy of God, he merely called for a basin of water. As he washed his hands that morning, I choose to hope that he washed his heart 10,000 times in the day following in that fountain of blood for the sin which he had such an awful hand in committing that day. The world cannot contain the books of all the names of the chief priests, scribes, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the governors and centurions and soldiers of Rome, if washing their hands as Pilate did, would have relieved their guilt for what they had done. Our own actions mirror that of Pilate. But listen to what Peter preached in Acts chapter 3 after the lame man that was laid at the gate beautiful was healed. Listen to what he said in Acts chapter 3 verse 12. When Peter saw it, he answered the people. And he said, you men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Why look you so earnestly on us as though 
by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when Pilate was determined to let him go. You denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, who was Barabbas, he, and killed the Prince of Life and whom God raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses, and his name through faith and his name hath made this man strong, whom you see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all of his prophets that Jesus should suffer and so fulfilled, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And you shall, he shall send Jesus, which before was preached unto you. Listen, times of refreshing always follows. Repentance. You cannot truly repent without feeling better. You cannot truly repent and leave with a a, a condemned conscience. You can't truly repent and leave feeling bitter or prideful or lustful, there are always are times of refreshing that follows true repentance. Pilate made a mistake. We'll ask Grace Church this morning, what are you going to do? In front of you today, in front of you today, is a basin of water. So, if anybody here today wants to continue your ritualistic hand-washing service when it comes to growing in the kingdom and being available for the service of God, if you want to keep nursing a bad attitude and a wrongful spirit, I provided for you a basin. And so you can come this morning and you can wash your hands. In this pitcher, I'll go ahead and pour you some water. So here you go this morning. If you want to have your own hand-washing service, like Pilate did, I provided you some water in a basin. I haven't brought you a towel. You can dry your hands when you're done. If you're truly finished with Jesus, it's all here for you. And you're welcome to it. But before you come, there are some things that I want you to understand. And pardon me if I sound harsh, but I'm going to say it like I feel it. Before you come, you should know that you'd be a fool to think that it's going that this ritual will silence your conscience. For those of you that are too busy to be about the kingdom, and you've been burned in the past, and you said, I'll never do it again, and 
You have, we have all of these things bottled up and pent up on the inside of us. I want you to understand. You can come up here and you can, for once and for all, do like Pilate did and just wash your hands of God, church, everything, the Bible, everything. But before you come, it is not going to silence your conscience. You would be a fool to think that it will wash away the guilt that it'll take away worldly corruption. The sin that you think is the perfect replacement for Jesus. Pilate even went as far, not only to wash his hands, but he had Jesus severely beaten. The scourging of the Romans. You prayed for death. You cried for death. I will submit to you this morning, that it was prophesied that his back would be beat with 40 stripes. That was prophesied. But the slapping, the spitting, pulling out the beard, beating him with rods, stripping him naked, that was Lanyap. And he just gave Jesus an opportunity to seize, to just say, I love you in one more way. Pilate had him beaten. He had him beat with 40 stripes. He had a crown of thorns. The thorns were some inch and a half to two inches long with the vines that they used back in, 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 in the land of Israel. They would carefully, the Roman soldiers would carefully set that on the head because they didn't want to get stuck either. They would carefully set it on his head and then beat it in with rods and boards. They slapped him and spit on him. They beat him with rods. By the way, that's what you do every day that you live in sin. So with that being said, would anybody like to come this morning and wash your hands of Jesus and be forever done? You're welcome to come. We're not going to judge. We're not going to laugh. But if you just can't get along with this man anymore, Would you like to come up here and wash your hands? Can you hear the world and are you chiming in with them to crucify him? So what are you going to do? One more thing before you come. I want you to know what he's doing. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world. Unto the end. Supper being ended. The devil. Now putting into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Simon's son to betray him. Jesus knowing that the father had given. All things into his hand. And that he was come from God. And he went to God. He got up from supper. Laid aside his garments. And he took a towel and girded himself. He poured him a basin. Of water. And he began to wash the disciples feet. And wiped them with the towel wherewith he was girded. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. <clears throat> if it's okay, and I'll ask that no one leave the building now, unless it's just an emergency, please reference this moment. But I can assume, I guess, <clears throat> if it's okay with all of you,
I guess I can assume that no one wants to come and wash your hands of Jesus. Nobody's come forward. So we're just going to leave this be. And I'm going to assume that every person in this building right now, truly deep down inside, has a heart bent towards Jesus. You really would like to engage him. You really would appreciate having a good, solid relationship with Jesus. So since none of you came to wash your hands of him, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that you have a bent towards Jesus. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do if you fellas are getting ready with communion. We're going to have our altar time, but it's going to be a little bit different. I need all of you to work with me. Don't look at me like deer staring in the head like kind of thing. It's going to be a little bit different, but we're going to pull this off. We're going to, it's going to work. So I mentioned to you in the beginning of this message, I'm desperate. This morning I feel desperate. Because I know there's people here right now that's you're nursing things that's happened in your past and for whatever reason you just can't make yourself give it up. But I'm going to ask you to do it this morning. Whatever it is. You don't want to wash your hands of Jesus so apparently you'd like to have Jesus wash your feet. And he's willing. So do it. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, doesn't matter. Judas was there. And from all indications of Scripture, I believe according to John's account, even Jesus washed his feet when Judas had 30 pieces of silver jingling in his pocket. The betrayal had already happened. It was already set in motion, but Jesus washed his feet anyway. I read to you that Peter preached to those people in Acts chapter 3 that when you repent, times of refreshing come. Feel... Forgive me, man, but your worship this morning inspired me. Maybe in some way, he tried to wash his hands years ago. But you just can't wash your hands of him. And when the praise team was singing about the blood, I noticed Phil had his hands tear streaming. Had a hanky and just wiped his eyes. He didn't know what I was preaching today, but I just really felt a spirit come off of him that said, you know what? I'm so glad I didn't wash my hands of him. I'm so glad that didn't happen. As a matter of fact, sometimes you'll want to wash your hands of Jesus and he just won't let you. You can go through that little ceremony like Pilate did, but the next time you're in his presence, he's like, come on, you tried to wash your hands, but if you'll come, I'll wash your feet, and I'll refresh you. I'll refresh you in ways that you've never been refreshed. There's refreshing. It follows repentance. So as we prepare for communion, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Listen to me before you move. Please wait just a minute. I'm going to ask everybody on this side, I'll ask you in just a moment, to exit out to the wall and come and get the, the bread and the fruit of the vine. 
Those of you on this side, listen very carefully. Those of you on this side, exit to the wall and pass by Brother Dave. Get your fruit of the vine and the bread. And I want everyone to gather up front. Everybody gather up front and just hold it. Don't play with it. Don't look at it. We've done this many times in the past. You know what it looks like. Just don't just, you can put it in your pocket if you want to. And we're going to spend about five minutes in heartfelt, fervent prayer. And I'm going to ask everybody in this building today, if you have ever received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I want you to ask God to fill you up with it again. It don't take God long. It takes us a long time, but it don't take God long. You don't have to participate if you don't want to, but I'm inviting everybody to participate. If there's anybody here today that says I'm not worthy, that makes you qualified. Do you understand me? If there's anybody here today that says I'm worthy to do this, keep your seat because you're not. Don't let I'm not worthy be an excuse. Let that be a reason. Because none of us are worthy. But when you come up here, I'm going to ask you to stay in the front. It's going to take a couple of minutes to do all of this. They're going to begin singing and playing at that moment. And I'm going to ask everybody just to raise your hands and just ask God, please do this with me to fill you up with the baptism of the Holy Spirit again. If you will, There'll be times of refreshing that will come to your life, your marriage, your home, and your family. Father, today I pray for this beautiful congregation of people. We're from all walks of life. And God, as we like to say sometimes, and I believe you understand our heart, but we're from all different levels and brackets of sin. There's people here today that's done some really bad things and there's people here today that's done not so bad things. But to you, sin is sin and there is no bracket. Committing adultery or just telling a fib, just lying about something, we know from Scripture will keep us out of heaven. God, forgive us today of those times that we've tried to wash our hands of you. God, forgive me for the times that I've tried to walk away from the ministry. You called me to this. And forgive me. God, I ask you today to forgive me of my sin. My fleshly desires, my lust, my envy, my pride. God, in front of all of these people, I truly repent. And I ask you today, oh God, to cleanse me, oh God. You know my thoughts, oh God. Search me, oh God. And if there's any evil in me, oh God, forgive me, oh God. And God, as this congregation of people comes to you today to partake in that sacred supper, 
of sharing what is symbolic of your blood and your body. Forgive them, O God. Forgive us, O God. For we know not what we do. God, today I hope you've noticed that nobody wanted to come and wash their hands of you. Which tells me that everybody here today would would really like to have a relationship with you. And I thank you, God, for people like Phil that are so thankful for your blood that washes away our sin and it cleanses our conscience. God, you're a God of second chances. Your whole manifestation to us is wrapped around grace and mercy and forgiveness. And help us to embrace the love of God today that's been shed abroad in our heart. We ask these things in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask everyone today if you would be sacred, if you would respect this moment, this environment, this atmosphere. Those of you on this side, if you would exit to the wall, pass and just stay at the front. Those of you, if you do the same, pass by Brother Dave and get your communion cup and just come stand in the front and just hold it. Casey, would you start singing? We'll give you a few moments to do this. Everybody could move over some, move up some to make room for everyone else. Thank you. Those of you that's already got your communion cup, would you start just asking God?